on this prequel episode, we have our tangled fanpole follow-ups. We're learning about rotoscoping and previewing a scanner darkly. Hello and welcome back to this film is lit podcast where we talk about movies that are based on books. This is a prequel episode. We have all of our little prequel segments, and our very first one is patron shoutouts. We did not have any new patrons in the last two weeks. Uh, but we do have our $15 Academy Award-winning patrons who get their bi-weekly shout-out. And they are Eli Youngs, Gratch, Just Gratch, Shelby Suderman, Mr. Nobody, I Went Back to Work for COVID-19, and Alina Deletkalova. Thank you all so very much. You are truly champions among other cool people. <laughs> Let's go ahead and get to our Tangled Listener Polls. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. So we had a decent amount of feedback mm-hmm. this time. I, th- I feel like some people um, did hear our cries and went out of their way to find the Facebook poll. Yeah. So I appreciate that. That and this one's another one of those, or this one's one of those that's most people have seen. Like yeah. the majority of people who yeah, probably a lot like of people casu- even people who like casually listen to our show because I, I would bet we have very few or very many people who are subscribed to our show who don't listen to every episode by oh, the nature of our by the nature of our very show and how it works there are people who are more just like oh and I do there are shows I do that with yeah. where it's like the topic or whatever eh, not doesn't sound as interesting as some of the other ones so you give it a skip but Tangled lots of people have seen Tangled yeah. Um, and and you posted the entire even for somebody who wanted to do the comparison you posted the entire <laughs> the entire fairy tale so it was very quick and easy for somebody to to get both of them. So we had five votes on Facebook. They were all for the movie. We also had a couple comments. Mm-hmm. Um, Julie said, "Like Katie, I love the fairy tales, but given the choice between reading a three-page fairy tale and watching the movie and singing along, I'm going to watch the movie." That's a fair assessment. You're probably getting more entertainment value out of the movie. Yeah, I would say so. Um, Karen, with a C, said, I prefer the story, but I think it's just because I enjoy when men get their eyes scratched out. There you go. Also, not sure I've actually seen the movie, so. Fair enough. I agree, Karen. I prefer when men get their eyes scratched out. (laughs) She said enjoy, not prefer. (laughs) Prefer sounds weird. I guess prefer is a little weirder. <laughs> I, I feel like they're equally weird. And finally, Jennifer said, It feels weird to choose a Disney adaptation over a centuries-old fairy tale, but you can't deny that the fleshing out of characters and modern updates to the overall story just made for a more satisfying overall narrative. Maybe it's the quarantine talking, but I identified so hard with Rapunzel doing all the things and only 15 minutes have passed in her day. I also thought that showing just how conflicted she was about leaving the tower was just brilliantly done. My biggest problem with the film comes with, from Flynn Rider cutting Rapunzel's hair without her permission. It can be seen as a sacrifice on his part, but literally and figuratively, it takes away Rapunzel's power in her own story. I saw this comment. I thought it was a really good point that we didn't talk about. Yeah, we didn't We didn't get to talk about that. Um, and I, I've seen people ex- kind of express that idea before um, that it's and I mean, they're right. They're not. Yeah, they're yeah. definitely right. I, it's 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 tough. No, I mean it's it's definitely yeah. That like I said, as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh yeah, that's a really good point. 
Um, I think within the narrative, within the story, it's, it is, it is weird because the nature of what it is, is very, it's a very like, he's, he's making this decision for her and, and sort of violating her autonomy in a, in a mm-hmm. way that is problematic, but he's also, maybe they, they would, they would, they would need to come up with a better way to give her an out basically. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It is. Yeah, it's a good it's a very good point because I mean, in, in the movie, it's yeah, it's a self-sacrifice to an extent because he does. He, he is assuming he will die as a yeah. result of it. So that that sort of muddies it a little bit. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it's uh, it is interesting. It's a very good point that I'm I'm glad somebody mentioned. Yeah, no, definitely. And then over on Twitter, we had nine votes. Seven were for the movie. Two were for the book. We didn't hear from any of those book people over on Twitter. But we did have a couple comments from Shelby. And Shelby said, The movie has Maximus, the detective horse, and led to Tangled Ever After, a.k.a. one of my favorite animated shorts. So it's not really fair, but I still picked the movie. I was really impressed with the script watching the movie again, especially the character relationships and how natural the oddities from the Grimm story feel in the movie. Rapunzel returning to her parents feels necessary in the movie, but I'm not a fan of it considering what they do with Gothel. Most kids in Rapunzel's situation don't have a spare set of, quote, real parents kicking around, and it feels too neat an ending. It also comes close to one of my least favorite tropes, the dead parents that aren't dead. Mm-hmm. Very good point. I think that is a good point. Um, it's kind of like the opposite point that we were talking about with Gothel, um, where Shelby's saying that because they made her abusive, it's maybe not so great that she had this other set of parents around. Whereas we were talking about how, like, oh, because she's abusive, it's maybe not problematic for it to be like, oh, well, these are your real parents. Yeah. Okay. I see what Shelby's saying, and I don't disagree about most kids don't have a spare set of real parents kicking around and it feels neat. That is definitely true. And I think potentially the better avenue there is the, I think I have fixes to both of these things. I was thinking the reason I wasn't, it took me a second to, to grasp this is I was thinking back to the previous comment and brainstorming. But speaking of this point, um, yeah, I think, I think having it be maybe if she has a found family, situation mm-hmm. as the recourse after she escapes mother gothel like maybe if she made more friends along the way yeah and they did like yeah they did like a whole found family thing F- thing versus just like oh your actual parents yeah. were alive the whole time and they miss you and love you because i i do agree with what she's saying that that's not you know it's 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 an unlikely scenario in real life for the story that yeah it's yeah pretty unlikely you, you know relatively <laughs> unlikely so I get that point. My, what I was thinking about going back to the previous point about the haircutting is that maybe the way they do that to where it's less problematic and doesn't take away her power is that maybe if, and I I don't know how this may have its own issues, but if over the course of the movie, Flynn had seen her using power, somehow figured out that it wasn't actually coming from her hair, mm. but that it was something within her. Mm-hmm. and tried to convince her of this somehow and maybe she doesn't believe him and then the final dramatic moment is him cutting off the hair so that Gothel still thinks that she doesn't have any power mm-hmm. 
and, and like because she wants her Gotha wants her for her hair and so he does this and then but he knows and then it's not not necessarily the self-sacrifice thing but he knows in that moment that he's not like making this decision for her because he's like no you still have this power mm-hmm. you know what i mean yeah potentially could remedy that slightly where like and she doesn't believe him over the mm-hmm. course of the film she's like no it's my hair or whatever and then he like again it yeah. still has its own problematic elements yeah, but yeah i think something like that could potentially work i think it maybe would be a little complicated for like a kids movie yeah but maybe i don't know i think you could do it just a few times over the course of the film yeah, I think I think it could be done in a kids movie without too much difficulty. I think there's still issues with that. I think there's yeah. probably even a better way to do it, but that was just the thing that came up with me keeping most of the elements the same, but maybe taking away him, him violating her autonomy in such a drastic way mm-hmm. potentially. So, and I think we we mentioned um, while we were doing that episode that there is like a Disney Channel animated series, yeah, or there was. I don't know if it's still running anymore. Yeah. And she, I believe she gets her long hair back. Yeah. In that. So, so maybe there is some implication that he knew something. Yeah, or, maybe. Maybe. Or maybe know. he like makes the reparations and yeah. finds someone to get yeah. her hair back. I don't know. I've maybe, never maybe watched he, it. Maybe that is, maybe that's <laughs> the plot line of the TV show. Is she's yeah. mad at him about not, you know, not letting her have that choice. And then he, they, 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 they work it out over the course of the TV show. Who knows? All right, thank you to everybody for all of your feedback. Some great comments in there, some stuff we missed, some really good points. All great stuff to take into consideration. And what ultimately won, won the movie? Yeah, the movie. The movie by, by a pretty heavy landslide. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, and again, it is like we mentioned in the main episode, kind of apples to oranges with those type of things. But mm-hmm. let's move on and talk. we got to learn. we got to learn some things. What are we learning about? We're learning about rotoscoping. No matter what anybody tells you, Words and ideas can change the world. A Scanner Darkly uh, was filmed digitally using the Panasonic AG DVX100, which is a camera that I actually used in college quite a bit. Really? They're a really uh, sort of prosumer level digital camera from around the early mid 2000s that Hmm. like lots of universities and high schools and that sort of thing used uh, the DVX100 because I think uh, we used to... We were still using them pretty significantly at um, the news station I worked at, that we worked at. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm pretty sure it, uh, that's what, I think it was the DVX100 that they were using for a while. But, um, so, very, very common, popular camera. Really affordable camera in relation to most <laughs> uh, cinema-level <laughs> cameras, which are tens of thousands of dollars. Yeah. This this one's a couple thousand dollars, basically. I was astonished to even hear you relate a camera used in yeah. an actual film production to anything yeah. that our school <laughs> Yeah, and the reason for that, uh, we'll, we'll explain why, because they knew they were going to do this rotoscoping technique. Uh, and they animated that, that video that they shot, uh, not film, that video that they shot on, on the Panasonic uh, with a program called Rotoshop. What Rotoshop does, it uses an animation technique called interpolated rotoscope, which was previously used in Linkletter's uh, last film before this, Waking Life, or I think it was this film before this, Waking Life, uh, which was the first film to be entirely composed of digital rotoscoping. So if you've seen trailers or anything from Waking Life, uh, April mentioned it on Twitter. Mm-hmm. 
today um, when we were talking about. And I think we had another comment on Instagram yeah. too today about Waking Life. Yeah, so that was his first film that used this technique and used it entirely. I went and watched the trailer for that to see how it compared. Um, the the version they do in Waking Life is much more abstract, at least from the trailers of A Scanner Darkly versus um, Waking Life. Uh, Waking Life is much more sort of abstract and not as photorealistic. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a few years earlier. This version in A Scanner Darkly is very sort of, I mean, it's clearly, you know, animated, but it's much more reflective of what the characters' faces look like and are actually doing than the previous film, to mm-hmm. me, appeared. Um, but you can tell very similar um, techniques going on here. So, for A Scanner Darkly, Linklater uh, wanted to use Rotoscope uh, for two main reasons. Uh, One, he wanted to capture the feeling of lucid dreaming, because this is a a story about drug use and drugs and the war against drugs um, and sort of altered states and perception and all that sort of stuff. And uh, so he wanted to evoke that sort of idea, that feeling, a very strange feeling of lucid dreaming, which is also very much the vibe you get from watching the Waking Life trailer, so I assume... He was like, this will fit perfect for Scanner Darkly. He also liked the idea of making a cartoon for adults, apparently. So, what is rotoscoping? Simply put, it's pretty basic. Rotoscoping is an animation technique where you draw on top of a motion picture, uh, film, video, or otherwise, frame by frame, to produce your animation. Um, So, rotoscoping was invented by animator Max Fleischer in 1915. Uh, It was originally known as the Fleischer Process, named after him and was used in his animation series Out of the Inkwell, which if you want to see what that looks like, you can go, you can just search Out of the Inkwell. In quotes, there's a Wikipedia article that has some clips from the animation. I don't know if it has all of it, but it has several clips where you can kind of look at it and see what it looked like. So originally, uh, Fleischer thought that rotoscoping would be a shortcut for animating. Thought it would be faster because you're tracing, basically. I mean, that makes sense. And so they thought it would be quicker and and easier. Mm -hmm. But it actually turned out to be more time-consuming than they expected um, because of the preciseness that is required when you're doing it and the the sort of errors that can get introduced from frame to frame that you have to then go back and Mm -hmm. work out. It's not as clean as they thought it was going to be. And Fleischer actually eventually stopped using rotoscoping as his primary means of animation. Uh, after a few years, he but he would still occasionally use it for intricate intricate dance movements. Um, if he wanted to capture a certain style of dance very specifically, he would film somebody doing that dance and then rotoscope it. And this some of those places of which is where this is most famous is in his Popeye and Betty Boop cartoons, um, which is what Fleischer was probably most known for these days. Mm-hmm. Um, he did the the old school Popeye and Betty Boop cartoons from like the twenties. And specifically, there's a dance sequence in the Betty Boop Snow White story. There's a Betty Boop store Snow White. I knew that. <laughs> animation. But I, don't, I don't think I've ever seen. It's just any called of Snow it. White, I believe. Um, and there's like a ragtime dance in that that is rotoscoped of uh, some uh, a ragtime performer huh. doing the dance, so that they can capture the actual dance uh, more precisely. So, uh, rotoscoping can be used in a bunch of different ways. Uh, one of the most common uses for visual effects. In film, it's very, it's more, way more uncommon for a film to be entirely rotoscoped like A Scanner Darkly is, and we'll talk about that in a second. But it's used all the time for visual effects within a film. Uh, so the way that works is that you trace an object, and then you, that creates a mat of that object. Um, that mat can then be used to take the object out of whatever environment's in and move it to another background or move it within the scene. Uh, this is done easily and most commonly by using a green screen or a blue screen to isolate your subject. 
oh but it can also be done with a piece of film shot without a green screen traditionally you would do this frame by frame by tracing whatever the subject is each frame and then uh you can then move it and do whatever you want with it um modern techniques you can do that digitally after effects has powerful tools i'm sure other programs do i most know i'm most familiar with like after effects and they have tools where you can literally trace in one frame whatever your subject is even if it's like a guy running through a park mm-hmm. with like stuff in the background you can trace the guy in the first frame and then hit a button and then the computer will figure out you hit play basically and the computer will figure out which what you, that's the subject you want and trace it for the rest of the frame so then you have a map of that person it's wild yeah nowadays you can do it automatically uh, back in the day they had to do it by hand so probably the biggest difference and benefit of rotoscoping over traditional animation, and it's one of the main reasons Linklater likes it, is that uh, you have a built-in reference and performance with rotoscoping. So because you're tracing over the character or the the, the video that you've already shot, mm-hmm. you're getting a direct one-to-one translation of whatever performance that actor or performer or whatever did. Um, in animation, the artist is is uh, you know completely in charge of or completely responsible for creating the animation um and and they off they will use reference footage but generally speaking you know they're whatever they want to animate how they want to draw the movement the the facial expressions but it comes from their creating yeah, it all from scratch they're creating basically. it from their head a lot of times yeah like i said they'll use references but they're not tracing a performance mm-hmm. where with rotoscoping um you're literally they shot this whole movie edited the whole movie and then took gave it to the art production team or the animators and they rotoscoped everything and so the performance that you're seeing in the film is what keanu reeves or whatever actor was doing but just with animation slapped on top of it Mm -hmm. so that's the big difference between like traditional animation and the rotoscoping animation you see in a scanner darkly uh and yeah so that's pretty much what rotoscoping is um it's often it's used a lot of times for all kinds of stuff. People probably heard it talked about. I don't think they actually use rotoscoping, but I could be wrong. You can quote unquote rotoscope like lightsabers. That's like a very common technique hmm. that you learn early if you're like taking a <laughs> like a graphics class. Um, they'll talk about rotoscoping because you'll go in frame by frame. Basically, what you'll do, what you're doing is you're going in frame by frame. With if somebody's holding a baseball bat, let's say, and you're taking a lightsaber animation effect and frame by frame moving it with the baseball bat hmm. as they move the baseball bat. So that's a type of rotoscoping and one that people are, if you've taken like entry level animation courses and that sort of thing, might be a little familiar, familiar with. But it's used for all kinds of stuff. Uh, and again, the particular version uh, that's in a scanner darkly is kind of unique in the regard that is the entire film is mm-hmm. rotoscoped and not just certain effects with, throughout it. So, And like I mentioned earlier, they shot it on such a cheap camera because they knew they were going to be doing this rotoscoping animation thing. They didn't need to spend a bunch of money on really good film and right. uh, high-quality cameras and, and all this sort of stuff because it didn't really matter what the video looked like as long as you could see everything. Like, yeah. you know, the dynamic yeah. range and the the color profile and all that stuff wasn't super important because they could do that all literally in post because they were going to animate over every frame of the movie. So they shot it on a very, <laughs> you, could, you could do the same thing with like a cell phone, you know, hmm. um, and we'll talk more about the actual post process when I get to the movie facts, but that's, that's rotoscoping roughly. 
that's a very beginning intro level explanation <laughs> for scoping. <laughs> so why don't you go ahead and talk about A Scanner Darkly, the book. It may just be my imagination. Whatever it is that's watching. It's not human. Gentlemen, you are about to witness for approximately 61 cents the perfect homemade silencer. That sure is some silencer. I just realized we switched this. We did. It's a switch episode. You're reading it. Oh, okay. My bad. But we, we've swapped our... Uh, I didn't even our, think about it. We and did I our did, facts like usual. I didn't even think about it. I just did the movie facts because I'm so used to doing it. And then yeah. I just now realized, oh, wait, I'm reading the book. I'm like four chapters in. Oh, yeah, that's right. So, yeah, I am reading the book for this one. So I guess I'll read the book facts even though I have not. Well, no, it's okay. We can still, we can oh, still read it. Oh, you said you're reading facts. it. I thought you meant the book no. facts. Okay, good. No, yeah, Oof. you're reading the book. Great. I am not reading the book this Go ahead, time. talk about the book. All right, A Scanner Darkly, the book, is a 1977 science fiction novel by Philip K. Dick, mm-hmm. a, a repeat author for us now. Uh, is this the third time? Yes, no. like, yeah, this is the third time because we yeah. did uh, Do Minor- Androids Dream of Electric Sheep yeah, and Minority, Minority Report, Report. Yeah. and now A Scanner Darkly. Yeah. And this will also be the second time we've collaborated with Aaron on a Philip K. Dick, but we're going to have to branch out. We do have to branch We're running out. out of Philip K. Dick. Oh, no, we're not. There's so much. There's there's <laughs> That's plenty, been adapted into movies? Uh, there's at least a few more, for sure. Really? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's a few. Uh, there, it's more than you think. I can't think of any off the top of my head, but I guarantee there's several more that we haven't talked about. I still about. think we should branch out. I'm not saying we shouldn't. I'm just saying there are several more. Anyway. All right. Anyway, so a Scanner Darkly uh, set in dystopian Orange County in what was then the future of June 1994. Um, A Scan on a Darkly is actually a fictionalized account of real events. Um, It's semi-autobiography based on Dick's experiences in 1970s drug culture. Um, he's quoted as having said in an interview, everything in A Scanner Darkly I actually saw, which is not a terrifying statement at all. <laughs> yeah. I haven't read this book, but I feel like I'm familiar enough with his properties now that that statement scares me. That's fair. The real life event that this is based on happened um, from about 1970 to 1972, when Philip K. Dick's fourth wife, Nancy, left him, and he was living by himself. Um, he said He's quoted as saying, I got mixed up with a lot of street people just to have somebody fill the house. She left me with a four-bedroom, two-bathroom house, and nobody living in it but me. So I filled it with street people, and I got mixed up with a lot of people who were into drugs. There you go. So a pretty bad breakup. Not not great. <laughs> not great. Um, and during that period, he actually ceased writing completely and eventually was fully dependent on amphetamines for a while. So this book apparently took a while to write. Um, I got the vibe from just like the little bit of research that I did into this that he usually turns stuff out fairly quickly. Um, but apparently he started outlining a scanner darkly in the 1973 and then worked on it 
off and on until it was published in 77. Now, part of the reason for that, I think, was that it was difficult for him to write. It sounds like it was pretty hard to go back through all of that. Mm -hmm. Um, Tessa, his wife at the time while he was writing this, um, once stated that she would find her husband weeping as the sun rose after all-night writing sessions. Mm. Um, She's also potentially wrote some of this book. Interesting. Um, She has given interviews stating that she was pretty involved in his writing process for A Scanner Darkly. Um, She also has said in a later interview that she considers herself the silent co-author. Wow. And on top of that, um, Philip K. Dick himself also apparently wrote a contract giving her half of all the rights to the novel, which stated that Tessa participated to a great extent in writing the outline and novel A Scanner Darkly with me, and I owe her one half of all income derived from it. So there you go. A a nice move on his part (laughs) to actually acknowledge that. Um, Along with the challenging, like, um, autobiographical aspects of A Scanner Darkly, there was also the challenge of changing the events into science fiction. Mm -hmm. Um, Dick felt that he wouldn't have a success if he branched out from science fiction. I think he had had some other books that maybe weren't quite as successful, so he wanted to stay in his oeuvre. And providing a lot of invaluable help to that end was actually Judy Lynn Del Rey, who was the head of Ballantine Books Science Fiction Division. That was the publisher who had optioned the novel at the time. Um, And she helped, she suggested actually changing the timeline to what was then the future of 1994 um, and emphasizing some of the more futuristic elements like the scramble suit. Don't know what that is yet. I but do. We're gonna find out. It's in the. Uh, I I don't know how much of a role it plays over the course of the whole story, but it's in the f- second or third chapter. Um, it shows up, and it's it's interesting. Uh, we'll talk about. It. It's in the trailer. Yeah. If you've watched the trailer, it's in there for a second mm-hmm. too. Um. So this got kind of mixed reviews when it came out. Um. The ALA book list called it Philip K. Dick's best yet. Um, Author Robert Silverberg, however, praised the novel as a masterpiece of sorts, but concluded it happens also not to be a very successful novel. A failure, but a stunning failure. Um, It didn't like sell gangbusters here in America. I think it did a little bit better like across the pond. Um, But according to Wikipedia, this is now one of his best known works. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I believe Aaron said this is his favorite. I know he said it's his favorite Philip K. Dick adaptation. It. I don't want to misquote him, but I think he also may have said this is like maybe one of, if not his favorite, Philip K. Dick book. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. I think he's. I know he said it's his favorite adaptation. Though, so. um, I also found a couple things about the title that I thought were interesting while I was doing my research. Um, the title of the novel apparently refers to the biblical phrase through a glass darkly which is from the king james version of first corinthians verse 13. Um, there is also another film titled through a glass darkly 
Um, it's Ingmar Bergman. Ingmar Bergman. Ingmar yeah. Bergman. Yeah. Um, Sounds and like a Bergman film. That's also been cited as a potential reference for this book, um, as it depicts a similar descent into madness from its lead character. There you go. All right, that was a scanner darkly book facts. Let's go ahead and talk about the film. What does a scanner see? Into the head. Into the heart. Does it see into me? Clearly. Or darkly. A Scanner Darkly is a 2006 movie written and directed by Richard Linklater, as I mentioned earlier, who is known for Waking Life, the other rotoscoped film, Before Midnight, uh, Boyhood, the film that took 12 12 years to film, and I did not know this one. He's done other movies, but I was unaware of this one. School of Rock was Richard Linklater. Really? Yeah. He directed it? Directed it. Hmm. Yeah. I love that movie. Yeah, it's a great film, but uh, yeah, it doesn't quite necessarily fit in with some of the other... Yeah, no, not really. Yeah. Uh, it stars Keanu Reeves, Robert Downey Jr., Winona Ryder, and Woody Harrelson, along with some other people, but those are the four big names. Linklater has, uh, was considering adapting Ubik, another of PKD's stories, uh, but ultimately decided he could make a better film from A Scanner Darkly. Uh, Linklater wanted approval from Philip K. Dick's estate, so he peti- uh, petitioned uh, Philip K. Dick's two daughters, Laura Leslie and Isa Issa Hackett. Uh, they apparently run his trust. Hmm. Uh, they did not like the idea of a cartoon version, but after they met with Linklater, uh, they liked his take on the story and that he they thought that he would do a good job and uh, honor the story that their father had written originally. Father and mother, maybe mother. I don't know if they shared, I don't know if that woman was <laughs> mother or not. I, I think Phil Kiddick was married quite a few times. I'm well, at sure. least so, five that we know yeah. of. <laughs> so uh, who knows if that's his, uh was their mother, but. Uh, they, they liked his take on the story. As with Linklater's earlier walking life, uh, waking life, uh, controversial conspiracy theorist and broadcaster Alex Jones has a small cameo as himself in the film, which is wild. So look I, out for that. I saw, I saw that he was in this when I was looking up, because I, I would look up who's in the movie when I make my yeah. hashtags for Instagram. And I was like, I'm Don't not, I'm not Alex hashtagging Jones. Alex oh, God, Jones. No. I'm not doing that. Don't do it. That's no. That's this a is, no for me. This is still, I think this is still back when he was more zany fun and less terrifying. It was a different time. Uh, it was pre-Sandy Hook, so he hadn't gone off that terrible deep end yet. Um, I mean, he was still a conspiracy theorist. And yeah. Kind of a, yeah. But uh, maybe not as dangerous. Uh, or terrible. Uh, there were numerous problems in the animation process. So we mentioned earlier the rotoscoping. Uh, I didn't go through all the details here, but it sounds really interesting. There were tons of problems during the animation process. Uh, apparently, a lot of the animators they hired at the beginning didn't know how to use the software very oh. well. <laughs> they all and lie so on their like resumes. Learning on, I don't know. They were like <laughs> learning on the job, and it was taking forever. Um, so they eventually hired a bunch of new animators, uh, and it took uh, – they shot this movie. I don't have that note here, but I looked. At, I remember seeing it. I think he said they shot this movie in 20 days. Uh, and then edited it because they shot it and fully edited the film. Mm-hmm. So the and like they had a locked down master, like this is the movie, and then they gave it to the animation people and you know yeah slapped the the rotoscoping on it. They did the the shooting in twenty days. I don't know how long the edit took, probably a similar length of time if not longer. And then 
uh, the animation took 18 months because they had so many issues. <laughs> I was hoping that you were going to say how long the animation took. It, between 15 and 18 months. Uh, so this pushed back the premiere date quite a bit, and it also ballooned the budget from like $6 million to like 8 or $9 million mm. or something in that ballpark. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. wrote most of his lines down. Now, this is a this is an IMDb trivia no, uh, thing, so it may be fake. but And also, Robert Downey Jr. may have said this somewhere, but he could have been lying. Who knows? He said he wrote most of his lines down on Post-it notes and then scattered them around the set so he could read them off while filming the scenes. The, and then the rotoscoping team animated over those notes to remove them from the film, which would be easy to do. You're animating yeah. over the whole movie anyway, so it's not insane. You just don't animate that Post-it note. Well, you do animate it. You just animate it to look like a wall. Yeah. Yeah. Like if it's on a wall, yeah. Right, you still got a slap animation over it. Yeah, I see what you're saying. You don't... I wouldn't... Yeah, you, you're not like tracing the post-it right, note yes. and leaving it in the scene. Yes, correct. But also I read in a different note or a different fact that he wrote down all of his lines like without without punctuation. I haven't... Again, I haven't seen the movie, but I, maybe he's like very manic in the film mm-hmm. and sort of... Every, I, I think is the case because he's also one of the the friends of the mm-hmm. main character who's like on drugs and stuff. So I assume maybe he that's what he was going for. I don't know about how true any of this is, but again, that's what I read. Uh, finally, the film eventually premiered to above average reviews. Uh, it holds a 68% on Rotten Tomatoes and a 73 uh, out of 100 on Metacritic. Um, and I think like a similar like 7 or an 8 out of 10 on IMDb from the audience score. Uh, but the film was not a financial success. Uh, didn't recoup its expanded budget. It made like seven point eight million, uh, which would have made a little bit of money. Well, not after marketing, it wouldn't have. But uh, it would have been slightly un- over budget, under budget. Would have made slight money with not counting marketing with the original budget, but with the expanded budget, it ended up losing money, and it definitely lost money with marketing. So not a, not a financial success, but supposedly a pretty good film. And, according to Aaron, the single best Philip K. Dick adaptation in terms of sticking true to the source material. Well, I guess we'll find out. We shall find out. I have a lot of reading to do over the next few days. Yes, you do. But it's fine. I'm a few chapters in. It's interesting so far. It's a little tough to follow, but we'll see. It's very. Also, I'm pretty sure it's a super uh, unreliable narrator. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Could be wrong, Sounds but that's like what it, it feels like so far, so we'll see. We'll see how that, how where that all ends up. But uh, you can come back in one week's time, and we will be joined by Aaron to talk about a scanner darkly. Until that time, guys, guys, I'm by Aaron and everybody else. Keep reading books. Keep watching movies. And keep, keep being awesome. awesome.